Welcome back to our weekly podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and today I have the honor of introducing you to Ty Flanagan. Ty graduated from Franklin in 2006 with a degree in visual and communication arts with minors in French and literature. After graduation, Ty went to Jordan as a Peace Corps volunteer, and then a few years later attended Georgetown University and got a master's in Arab studies. Overall, Ty has a plethora of experiences in many different sectors, such as international development, nonprofit, technology, and arts. Ty has a very unique intersection of many countries, communities, and companies. And I'm very excited to welcome him to the podcast and learn more about his story. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, of course. And I spoke to you before we started recording, but I really wanted to talk about how our lives kind of intersected because it's so Franklin. Um, basically, I was at an admitted students reception on Zoom and I mm-hmm. met uh, Emily Boyton and we I was just randomly talking about how I was going to go into the Peace Corps literally five minutes before the reception began. And she was like, I know this cool guy. You definitely <laughs> meet him. I'm going to send you an email with his information. And yeah, we went from there and we got to chatting about the Peace Corps and look where we are today. It's just... yeah. I feel it's very the Franklin family, you know, in a in a nutshell. Cheesy, but yeah, there's there's always a lot of small world uh, happenstance things that happen in the Franklin world, right? It's it's weird. The world is big, but then also the world is small. So it's you know. But anyways, enough about me. Let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I mentioned, you were actually working in Jordan um, with the Peace Corps. And I was kind of wondering what originally drew you to the Peace Corps. And I'd love for you to share more about your experience and potentially how your reality correlated to how you envisioned being a Peace Corps volunteer. Sure. Um, That's a great question because I think we all, when we're finishing up at Franklin or when wherever we're finishing up a degree, we're wondering what's the next step, um, what's the career we want to have. I know some folks have a very set path that they think they want to do and end up executing. Some people take twists and turns. Um, I didn't really know exactly what my next step would be. And I had heard of the Peace Corps um, growing up in the U.S. Uh, it's an opportunity for U.S. citizens to volunteer abroad. But I didn't really know much more than that. Um, so I started investigating it in one of my summer breaks when I was back home in Denver, where my, my hometown. And I was lucky to have a regional Peace Corps office in Denver where I could go get some more information, talk to some recruiters. And so what started as kind of a vague idea of volunteering abroad um, steadily took shape where I learned more about the program, what the commitments were like, um, how one applies and is successful and all that. So basically, um, applying for Peace Corps is kind of like applying for a job where you're trying to match skills, um, expertise to a job that you would be doing abroad. Um, So there are different sectors in which you can volunteer, agriculture, education, technology, business development. And so at the time I had experience tutoring uh, at high school level and also I was a tutor at Franklin. And so that experience led me to to the education sector track where um, I had enough qualifications to apply to be an education specialist. And so, and also at the time, I heard that they were really keen on having folks that had language. So at Franklin, I um, studied studied French, I have a minor in French, and I also studied Italian. 
Um, and they said they were really looking for Francophone volunteers. And I was like, great, I'm, I'm interested in the experience. I speak French. And then it's also, there's a lot of um, twists and turns that happen with the Peace Corps uh, application process, which you, you may be familiar with as well. But um, eventually I got nominated to go to Jordan. So Jordan's obviously not a Francophone country, but I think what I emphasized in my uh, interview for it was I'm flexible. I'm really keen on having the experience. I'm happy to go wherever you would like to send me. And so I think they needed someone to go to Jordan. And so I was like, sure, that wasn't the, the plan, quote unquote, but um, sounds great. And speaking of kind of uh, the Franklin world experience, um, when I was considering this opportunity, I could immediately go talk to friends, fellow students who are Jordanian and say, hey, um, I've never been to your country. What do you think it would be like for me to live there for two years and work as a an education, a teacher. So um, that was nice. And also during my two years of being in country, working as a teacher in a Jordanian public school, I also had my Franklin network. I had friends living in Amman in the capital where on occasion I could go up and see some familiar faces. And um, so, yeah, that's like the overall getting into the Peace Corps experience. But um I will will say in general, Peace Corps is it's I think it's a beneficial experience for those who are considering doing it. It's hard, it's a challenge because you're living somewhere that's different than what you're used to. Um, so for me, I was living in a small rural village in southern Jordan. Um, you're you're a guest in a different country culture. You're surrounded by a different language. I had never even considered learning Arabic because it sounded really hard. <laughs> I was proficient in French and pretty good at Italian. So I kind of thought if I go the international route, maybe it'll be more European focused or perhaps Francophone West Africa or the Caribbean, um, just thinking where French is spoken. But I had never really thought I'd learn a different language or a non-romance language where I couldn't like translate some of that uh, linguistic background. No, I mean, it's super cool. Also, it just kind of cool how now you're 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 basic you're fluent in arabic aren't you pretty much i mean it's language is a muscle so if you're it depends on how much you're exercising it i'm really comfortable um conversing and interacting in arabic my arabic uh is very jordanian um so any arabic speaker would probably uh get a kick out of that in my previous job um before becoming an artist full-time i traveled a lot in the middle east and I would present a lot in English and Arabic to university students, um, getting them involved in our education program. And I would always get uh, compliments, especially when I was in like Egypt or Saudi Arabia or other places where they were just like, oh, it's really cute that you speak with like a Jordanian Shami kind of Levantine accent. Um, and it was just it's just one of those things where when you're exposed to a language uh, and that's your entry point, it kind of leaves its stamp. Because after Peace Corps, I did um go to georgetown like you said and i had to pass proficiency in standard arabic which is luckily quite similar to the jordanian dialect but it it was much more grammar focused and much more it's like um what you see on al jazeera or read in the newspaper and it, it was quite different than what i would use day to day in the classroom or talking with colleagues um so i had some advantages of vocabulary and pronunciation but it was a whole different world in terms of 
um, speaking quote unquote correctly. Uh, yeah, but right. they, they had to, to, to change all my bad habits, but those bad habits kind of seep back in depending on uh, the context. I think it's cute to have a little slang, like have a little, you know, something that makes your accent unique. I don't know. I like it. Yeah. It's like also living in Lugano, you learn Italian, but you also learn like the random Ticinese sayings, which are a little bit different and add some color to, to it in a different way. Color. That's the perfect word for it. I completely agree. So you were in Jordan for two years. And then after the Peace Corps, then you moved to the greater Denver area and worked in PR and communications. And so I was kind of wondering what that transition was like. I mean, obviously, it's it's very far away, but also society is different. And I just wondered, what was it like not only switching places, but also kind of switching jobs or, you know, uh-huh. professionally? Um, so the... My transition back to Denver was, it was partial, it ticked a few boxes. Um, so my parents and my immediate family were all in Colorado. So it was a, um easy place to go, especially after being abroad for such a long period of time. Um, I still had to figure out what kind of my next steps were career-wise, and it seemed like a good place to have a home base to figure that out. Um, I was thinking maybe a grad school or some sort of continued education, but I wasn't sure exactly what. Um, so it was a time where I could look at different options, apply to those programs, um, and kind of figure out what I wanted to do from there. It was also um, 2008, so the job market wasn't great because of the, the Great Recession. So a lot of what I did in my interim time was more consulting-like work. Um, so a good friend of mine from Franklin, David Rubin, who was my freshman year roommate, um, who's also from Denver, we started a consultancy called Think Thought, and we called ourselves a think tank for hire. So in this period, I was able to focus on graphic design and web skills. Um, some of those I had before, but others I needed to kind of upskill and get more competent. Uh, so HTML coding and all that stuff. And David is really skilled in copywriting, SEO, marketing, branding. And so we would work for um, other small businesses, or we even worked with Denver Sister Cities International, a local nonprofit in Denver that focused on bridging cultures in a different way. Um, So it was kind of finding opportunities and also finding um, crowds, like in being in the Denver area, working with Denver Sister Cities, you were in a crowd that appreciated international exchange, whether it was on an academic level or a business level. And I was probably just as much searching for what that next step would be. Uh, Like, do I stay in Denver and find a job in international economics sector, or do I go to grad school? And for me, it became the latter. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm actually excited that you touched on ThinkThought because you you were the creative director and co-founder or founder. Um, and it's really interesting, but would you tell us more about it? I feel sure. Yeah. I mean, it it was, it for, it was, um, a two person operation. So a very lean, small business, and it was very much a consultancy. So we'd take on projects for clients. Um, most of the projects would be, um, kind of a web and print branding project. So it would be 
creating or updating their web presence and perhaps doing all the other collateral that they might need, whether it's business cards, brochures. Um, so it was a combination of digital and print graphic design and also um, kind of working with clients who were perhaps didn't have an established web presence and thinking about how, how do they get more established in that sector. So, and David um, is an expert on SEO, so how to discoverability and all that stuff was part of it too. So we worked with a variety of clients um, on a project basis. The big, biggest project I worked on was probably with Denver Sister Cities where it was a full rebrand um, spearheaded by another partner who was worked in a branding agency. Um, so we, I created a new website from the ground up and then helped them uh, implement a new visual identity. So updating all of their collateral to match that new identity. But we also would work with maybe an independent um, speaker or someone who wanted to establish a web presence if they're like a life coach or um, keynote speaker or kind of a smaller smaller entrepreneurial crowd. Um, and so for me, it was a way of building experience and building my skills in web design, um, code, all that stuff with real world projects. Um, and David was also, he was working full time in another job as well so for us it was a bit of side project i guess we call it side hustle these days um but it was really good for developing skills that i still use today yeah so was it primarily self-taught in terms of the tech aspect of it because obviously you studied visual and communication arts but you know the more right so like i had uh graphic design training um as it were just as part of my experience growing up and as part of my degree at Franklin, um, combination of studio art and some digital uh, art as well. Um, but learning the, in like getting your hands dirty in the code, that was more self-taught um, and a lot of trial and error, but it was something I've always been passionate about growing up. I was always the kid taking things apart and putting things back together. And um, I primarily used WordPress and would build extensions and plugins and Learn, there's a big uh, community online of people who share best practices. So a lot of it was just learning by doing and then getting comfortable with it and then getting comfortable enough to do it for a client, which is a di which is different than like breaking it for yourself. And then after being able to do it successfully for others, then you feel comfortable saying, yeah, that is part of my skill set. I could probably do this for a bigger client. Yeah, no, it's super cool. And also while you were at Georgetown, um, I know you also developed a really interesting database. Um, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about that as well. And also, was there some interlap in knowledge? Like, was it helpful? Were they building off of each other? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, that's a fun project to think back on because it was about 10 years ago now. But when I was, um, it was my second year of grad school at Georgetown, one of my professors had just published um, a book about Palestinian village histories. And in doing that work, um, she interviewed lots of people and had a lot of source materials. And she wanted those materials to be really discoverable and useful for other scholars or other folks um, in the field. And so I worked as her research assistant to uh, put those items in a database. And for me, it was really important to have it be a bilingual Arabic English database, which um, 
you took some customization of the of the back end. So I was working with a WordPress site. We were uploading those documents, but I was customizing it so that one could search um, by location in either English or Arabic. Since the source material was, I think, 99% in Arabic and people who are would be interested in using it would probably be knowledgeable about in Arabic, but may also not be. So having the option of doing either either language. Um, and yeah, so I, I was approached by that professor because she knew that I had web skills and she was like, hey, my uh, she had a colleague who had a online archive of posters, the Palestinian poster project. And she was thinking, oh, it would be great to have something similar for the for my archive. Um, kind of paying it forward she had had gotten support and grant money to do it and so it was it was a fun project for me to, to, to take on yeah that's super cool and I kind of like the idea even though you did go to Georgetown which is definitely way bigger than Franklin there's still kind of this locally focused community of like people know who you are and did you feel like you had to build that for yourself or was that something that kind of you came into my um general thought is that going to Franklin that vibe is basically a grad school vibe because it's so small and it's a small community and your classes are small you have a collegial relationship with your professors you have access that you don't have at a huge university setting um, so I always treasured that from the beginning just being in that situation um, both of my, I have two brothers, both of them went to much larger schools. So they were in these big lecture halls and their point of contact was a TA and not a professor for a lot of their undergrad work. And it wasn't until either higher courses or when my younger brother did his PhD that he had that experience I had the whole time when I was at Franklin. Um, and then when, so like going from a Franklin classroom to my classroom at Georgetown was very similar because I was surrounded by people, most of whom were in my program or in similar programs. Um, so it was a room full of 20 folks max, more like a dozen to 15 discussing the reading, uh, talking about ideas. And that was very similar to pretty much all of my courses at Franklin in terms of uh, that relationship you build with your professors, um, having access to them, being able to chat formally but also informally getting to know your your colleagues your former student or your fellow students in a in a way so like my program was uh i think 30 to 40 students of a cohort each year oh, wow. so and when it was housed in like a center within the university so like you get to know that cohort very well um and kind of like an incoming class at Franklin, it's, it's a little bit bigger, but also um, it's it's a similar dynamic. Yeah, for better, for worse, you know? <laughs> Definitely for better, for worse, but I, I think ultimately for better. Like yeah. there are days in which you wish you could be a bit more anonymous, of course, but um, there are so many benefits to being able to make relationships and with people. And those are contacts, both Franklin and grad school at Georgetown that I I still am very close with. Yeah, and just to have a professor know you and have something in their back pocket that they think you might be passionate about, to me, like that is all you could ever ask for in terms of academia. Like I absolutely love that. And a small curiosity that I had was you since you obviously took 
four years ish between coming from bachelor's to then grad school. Do you yeah. that was a well needed break or it was it kind of just a natural transition? Like what would you say if people are like, Oh, should I go directly to grad school? Should I wait? You know, what would you say based on your experience? Go when you feel ready. Um, and when you, cause it's, it's a commitment and it shouldn't be taken lightly. So if you want to work in international development, development, if you want to work for the government, if you see yourself, like if there's a career that you can kind of see yourself in and it requires a graduate degree, you're going to have to do it at some point. So a lot of the positions, um, like I'm looking at reentering the international development sector right now. And a lot of the positions I'm looking at require a master's degree. And, it, and it's just nice that I have one, you know? <laughs> so it's like, oh, I can consider this opportunity, whereas I wouldn't be able to consider it in a different situation. Um, in my cohort of at graduate school, there were, I would say about perhaps half of the folks there went straight from undergrad to grad school. And they were much better at the quote unquote school part because you, you, there's a work ethic, there's learn like knowing how to read academic papers, knowing how to take notes, all like those are skills that are useful, but if you're not using them every day or every semester, they get they're they're not exercised and you get weaker at them. So there's a bit of a learning curve going back to school after a break like that, where you're like, Oh, we have to read this whole book this week and we're gonna discuss it and it's it's just like, oh wow, this is it's a lot, um, especially at the beginning when you're not used to working in that manner or spending all day at the library trying to get your your reading done. Um, so I think there are advantages to going straight from undergrad to grad school, um, especially if you're academically inclined. Um, I've always enjoyed school, so I, it probably would have been an okay choice for me as well. But um, I'm not sure I would have, I would have probably studied something else. It wouldn't have been the wrong thing, but I wouldn't have that had the Peace Corps experience, I wouldn't have wanted to build on that and leverage the language skills um, and focus on a regional studies uh, like Arabic studies or Middle Eastern studies. I probably would have done a more general international studies or development uh, degree, which would have its pros as well. Um, I don't know. So, but also, like I was saying, my subsequent experience dictated what a program it ended up going to. And my program was much more focused. Half of the students there would probably go on to more academia, like PhD track and the academia world in terms of jobs. And then the other half would go into the private sector, public sector, nonprofits. And so my training was very academic in the sense that it was not necessarily like it's not like getting an MBA where they're teaching you for the to be in the office and lead lead your team and make uh, decisions that way. We were t- talking about culture and society, about sociology, um, economics, but on like a high level. So that's definitely informed how I I view things and work on things. Still, it's, I can sometimes take it a more academic route instead of a more practical route. Yeah, it's actually super interesting of how much of a strong intersection there's been in throughout your kind of professional and academic career between media and international relations. And, you know, whether that be when you worked as a web and program consult for Creative Associates International in Washington, or when you did 
um, web and communications consultancy for the World Bank. And so it's kind of an interesting interplay. Like there's a really, I don't know, I just feel like that's a really cool niche. And I was just wondering if that's something that you were thinking about while attending Franklin or while you were, you know, how did you kind of mesh those two together? It was definitely less planned. And um, so I ended up focusing on visual and communication arts at Franklin just because I, um, those are the things that interested me and those are the classes I wanted to take. And kind of, you're looking through the course catalog, you're like, if I take these classes, where does that lead me? And so that's kind of how I made that decision. Um, not much, maybe not the most practical way of doing it, but um, I was definitely in a, raised in a family where it was just, you should do what you're passionate about and we'll figure out the, the details later. Um, so I was very fortunate in that regard to be supported to do that. Um, but going back to what you were saying, um, I've always been interested in the international development sector um, because there's a lot of aspects of the sector that um, resonate with my experience or what I'm passionate about, working with people from different communities all around the world, working with stakeholders at all different levels, um, using cultural comp competencies that I have from either living in Lugano or living in Jordan, um, being comfortable traveling independently in different places and uh, all that. Um, and so for me, my way the way for me to get my foot in the door in these places was through their uh communications uh jobs so my first job after completing grad school was a consultancy where it was like you said a web and communications consultant my main duties were um, to publish this website for a usaid funded project but um once you're in the office you're, you end up doing learning more like aspects of all of the business so i i was reconciling monthly budget spends i was writing financial narratives i was supporting the office we had in islamabad pakistan and i actually traveled to the field office to do some training with on monitoring and evaluation so like once you're there you are exposed to all the different opportunities and you, i learned that i really enjoyed the financial aspect of project planning balancing a budget and I really enjoyed working directly with folks in the field. So not, not just managing the website and publishing stories and publishing reports, which was my main duties. Um, and similarly for the World Bank consultancy, uh, consulting is a very common way to get your foot in the door at the World Bank. It's a um, huge organization. And sometimes you don't know where to begin, but you can often find what they call STCs or short-term consultancies or ETCs, extended term consultancies. And um, you you get, once you're there, you get access to everything in the bank. So it's a way where you can do a communications consultancy, um, get to know the office, get to know the work, and then you can if you want, you can network your network your butt off and move to a different office. Um, so I was on that path before eventually going to Wikimedia, where I was at the Global Partnership for Education. Uh, I was there on a short-term consultancy. Um, by the nature of the contract, the contract was up, and I found a new short-term consultancy at the Middle East office. So I that was exciting for me because then I could use Arabic and French 
and also do the other stuff I was good at, which was social media and web development and graphic design. So it was, it was really fun to be in that mix. Um, but then I got another opportunity that was a more permanent position at Wik Wikimedia. And so that's, that uh, World Bank experience was somewhat short-lived because I, I was at that point in my career looking for something more stable. Because consultancies have obviously have their pros and cons. You, you can be more nimble, you can move around, but they are short by nature. Um, but it's a great way to get your foot in the door somewhere to learn if you want to uh, network and move your way up. Um, yeah, that's and nice. get get paid to do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally down. <laughs> yeah, because I was actually going to ask you that same thing. Like, once you got in, do you feel like it was easy to kind of move your way around if you wanted it hard enough? And it sounds like yeah, um, and it's it's like we were talking about earlier. Um, it's all about your network, and your network is always growing. So, I was fortunate when I started at the World Bank. There was also an alumna there from Franklin, and we could catch up. And we didn't have a lot of overlap in our time there. We had, I think, one year of overlap, but just because Franklin's so small, we like knew each other ish. Yeah. And uh, we could we could meet for coffee. She was able to be candid about her experience and tell me what she, like she didn't have to be be uh, super formal and political. She could tell me what she really thought and give me practical advice, and I really appreciated that. And then she was able to introduce me to some of her friends and coworkers. And so, uh, like that was one way to grow my network. I also had contacts from my time at Georgetown, where um, it's, it's kind of it, this. LinkedIn wasn't as big as it was now, but you could like ping someone basically and say, hey, we both went to the School of Foreign Service. Um, I'm really impressed by your experience working on whatever. I'd love to meet for coffee and learn more about it or see if there's opportunities for someone at a more entry level. Um, so it's definitely uh, reaching out and talking to folks. Um, informational interviews or career chats always are beneficial. Um, and your colleagues in the office. So like I was working for a senior communications uh, director and her husband focused on a different, uh, was in a different part of the World Bank, but she was like, He's, he needs your skill set right now. You should go talk to him. And so there was an opportunity there for like another way to grow your career that way. So it, it's always helpful to have a network. Franklin is surprisingly, there's always one some way to leverage it um and but also it's in, it can be interest driven it can be um like there's always networking events for lgbtq folk like who are interested in state department or foreign affairs there are you can you can always find a group if you feel like you don't have one um but franklin's a great starting point yeah definitely it's it's oddly vast for the number of people that attend Franklin at once. Like they're everywhere. And yet there's so, you know, we have such a small school, but it's very cool. Like when you go on LinkedIn, almost every, you know, place, there's always Franklin alum used to work here. Someone that you know used to work here. It's really cool. Um, but I would love to talk about kind of what you're doing currently um, in sure. your of art and consulting and Washington DC so now you're kind of bridging the worlds of traditional textile arts and Islamic um, geometry through bespoke quilts 
and you know just lay it all out here how has it been like it's such a creative sure. you're working in that's amazing first of all congratulations i feel like it's a <laughs> deal um I, like that's just amazing but also kind of what has it been like being your own i wouldn't say vouch but you know like your own person just working for yourself and introducing yourself to industry partners just tell me everything it's very i'm excited to learn <laughs> sure um so yeah, I was at the Wikimedia Foundation prior to that for almost five years. And um, in 2016, I started, I was just like, I'm going to make a quilt. I don't know where that idea came from, but I've always been like craftsy or like, I've always been creative, but I had never done that particular project. I had a sewing machine in the closet. I was, I like reupholstered things or made curtains, but never anything as intricate as patchwork. Um, so I was just like, let's, let's see if we can do this. So I hopped on YouTube. I got books at the library. I got some materials and I made my first quilt. And then I was like, oh, so patchwork is kind of like grids. Um, cause combining fabric and different patterns, um, to have different effects immediately made me think of, well, you could, there's like no limit to what kind of grids you can use. And also having, um, with my passion for all things Middle East, having lived in Jordan and worked across the region, um, my mind started going to those intricate decorative arts that are, are traditional in across, the, across North Africa or Southern Spain or even Central Asia. Um, so I started looking at Islamic geometry and then started to combine the two slowly but surely. So um, each project I would kind of try a new skill or push myself in a new way um, and then um, so that was I was doing that while working full-time and then I was just really I was all about it it was it was a time where I wasn't really engaged with social media it was 2016 2017 where um, things kind of got very polarized on Facebook uh, the political landscape was not was kind of dreary for me so yeah. I think this was a nice outlet um, where I could just pour myself into that and kind of ignore everything else. Um, so then I started making more quilts. And then um, so for about two years, I was doing it both uh, kind of part time, but doing a lot of part time. Like I do a 40 hour work week and almost a 40 hour week of sewing. <laughs> <laughs> so bur burning the burning the candle at both ends, but I was I was really passionate about it. And then in 2018, um, my dad passed away quite unexpectedly, and um, so that was a time to kind of take stock of what's going on, reevaluate. Yeah. Um, I was really fortunate; I had a really supportive employer, so I was able to take some temporary time off and kind of deal with that, but also. You, when something like that happens, you're like, you start thinking, what if, what if I did this or what if I did that? And so I was at the point where um, my program that I was managing was in a good spot. I had just hired a bunch of great people and um, I was like, you know what? I could step away and think like the ship's not going to sink, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I decided to just, just step away from my role at Wikimedia and say hey let's what if, what if i was doing textiles full-time let's what would that look like 
And so that's what I've been doing uh, for the past three years. Um, so uh, right now, I, I have a quilt hanging at the National Quilt Museum in Paducah, Kentucky, which is kind of surreal to me. Yeah, that's um, I uh, got my first quilt awards this year, too. There's an annual conference called QuiltCon. It's run by the Modern Quilt Guild. And so um, I've had quilts in the show uh, three years in a row, but this was this year I I actually ribboned, which was kind of insane. So it was, it's it's um, fun to get recognition for something that you're really passionate about and for work that you've put hours and hours and hours into creating. Um, so a lot of my work right now, I like to say that I like you say you've been you've been characterizing a lot of things in terms of the intersection of X and Y. Um, and so a lot of the work I do right now is is much very much reflective of all those experiences we've talked about. It's very much influenced by my academic training. I love to look at a pattern and see where does it come from? Um, where can you find it in not just like drawings of it, but can you find photographs, historical sources? Where is it in situ? Um, and then that connects you with different artists. There's a whole Islamic geometry community online. And so I'm connected with artists in Turkey, in UK, in Spain, uh, in Iran. And so we usually on Instagram, but we share ideas back and forth. We give each other feedback on our art. Um, also in the time of COVID, I've been able to take Zoom classes with po folks that usually offer in-person in classes. Um, so I've been taking a lot of more geometry classes online. Um, and yeah, so that's that's one aspect. So for me, it's like analyzing the geometry is really key part of it, but also contextualizing it. And so like when I release a quilt pattern, I want folks to have the opportunity to learn about it. Um, so like an upcoming pattern that I'll be releasing is based on geometry from the Alcazar in Spain. But I also want to talk about how the Islamic influence of Islamic Spain, how that's a key part of history, the Spanish Alcazar actually comes from the Arabic Alcazar, which is the castle. And so like, there's like fun ways to contextualize it. And it's an opportunity to not just appreciate the geometry, but appreciate how rich uh, the cultural history is too, and the people behind it and the places behind it. Yeah, um, really exciting. And so for now, you're making them based on what people are ordering or what you are choosing to produce yourself? I do a combination. Mostly it's like I do a few uh, commissions here and there. So um, I've actually done commissions for Franklin friends, for, for alumni, um, for different special occasions or to, for, to mark different occasions. But um, lately I've been doing stuff that work that I've, I like to have a backlog of things I want to make because it's like your mind works a lot faster than your fingers. Yeah. So some of it's working through that archive of things I want to explore and getting it in fabric and then um, getting those works into shows. So there's a whole different, lots of different venues that uh, exhibit textile work. There's that annual conference, the QuiltCon, um, which is for me as a, as a modern quilter is kind of a key one, but there's, all sorts of things, whether it's state fairs in the U.S. or galleries. So those those are avenues that I'm exploring right now. 
kind of having a more of a portfolio of work that can be exhibited in different places for different occasions. And um, if someone were looking to see your work, where should they go? I'll definitely, it's a link <laughs> in the description for sure. Um, for Quilters, Instagram is the place to be since we're a visual <laughs> visual crowd. So my Instagram is is all quilts all the time, pretty much. <laughs> so it's it's just my name. So T-I-G-H-E-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N. Um, that's where to find me. You can also find me on Facebook, but that's pretty dormant. Um, and um, so yeah, it's that I sh- I'll show works that I'm working on there or stuff that's um, that's been being exhibited. Another aspect of working in the quilt world is is um, there's different parts of it. So I, I'm also going to be teaching and speaking at QuiltCon next year in 2022 in Phoenix. So I'm excited to deliver a few lectures on Islamic geometry and quilting or sewing complex shapes with regards to quilting as seen through my lens as an artist. And I'm also going to be teaching for the first time there. So it's fun to find different opportunities to uh, in the quilt industry. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I've been able to work with brands, um, uh, like as a micro influencer, as it were, <laughs> but, <laughs> but for like thread and for sewing machines and things like that. So there are different opportunities. Um, as an independent artist, it's, it is a constant hustle, as it were. Uh, you would definitely need varied income streams. So for me, that would mean not just selling quilts, but selling patterns. Um, working, having other publications, teaching, uh, speaking engagements. Um, so those are things that I do in different quantities and different opportunities arise. But right now, as the economy is opening back up after COVID is, is somewhat taken care of, knock on wood, we, we're, we're getting more and more vaccinated in the U.S. Um, I'm actually looking at going back into the international development sector and probably continuing quilting as more of a, a side side hustle as it were. Okay, fair enough. So you're gonna kind of do a two job kind of situation again. Yeah, I do miss working with a broader team. It is different when it's just you. I mean, I do have colleagues in the quilting community where we talk, uh, share about our experiences and talk about different aspects, but it's different than like, working on a project focused on increasing basic education in X region. So that, that I miss that doing that kind of work. Um, and now that things are reopening and travel is becoming more and more possible that that type of work is picking up as well. So it seems like a, a good opportunity to dip my toes back in that pond, but yeah. it's, I always like to be doing a few different things at once. Yeah, you. I, I like that about you a lot. And do you have like a specific place you want to go or are you kind of um, just good to go in the Washington, D.C. area where you want to go for a move or what's next for you? I'll probably stay in the D.C. area. Um, I've been here almost 11 years. I came out for grad school. Um, I, I really like D.C. Um, it's very diversity. There you have connections to the international community, obviously, um, but it's a, for an East Coast city, it's small and walkable, pretty green. Um, so who knows? I mean, if the right opportunity comes comes by, you know, you never say never. But um, 
I'll, I'll probably be in the DC area, at least for the short term, if not the long term. Yeah, I mean, it's a good place to be in terms of international development. So, you know. Yeah, and there's also great arts and culture scene here, too. So, I mean, ideally, it would be nice to find um, a position that kind of married the two, uh, looking at arts and culture, um, perhaps through a regional lens or a textile lens. Um, But who knows? Who knows what opportunities are out there? No, and based on all of your experiences, I feel like the world is definitely your oyster. And I'm very excited to see what's yet to come. I really don't want to end this podcast, but it's been wonderful. And I want to, you know, leave the listeners with some anticipation and excitement of what's to come for you. Um, But yeah, I really thank you so much for sharing part of your life story with me and with everyone listening. It's been truly a pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun to rehash what seems like a lifetime ago pre-pandemic, but right? um, I completely yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But I will definitely link your Instagram in the bio of this podcast so that people can check out some of your quilts and see what you're working on. Um, but yeah, I hope that we can speak soon and I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.